Welcome to our Sunday morning service here at First Baptist Church. And uh, if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew, the 27th chapter. And uh, while you're finding that, I hope you will find the uh, message today would be a help and a blessing to you. All of us have been affected by this virus, coronavirus, and I, just like you, am anxious to see our country up and running again. Many folks have expressed to us their frustration at not being able to gather at the church house and to worship the Lord together. And we feel that same burden, believe me. Hopefully the emergency will be over soon and we'll get back to things being normal, whatever normal is. I have a prayer request to share with you. Please pray for a man named Mike and his family. He's in the hospital with a virus and apparently his liver is having problems and has stopped functioning. His family has already lost one member of their family to this virus and they have another member of their family in the ICU because of it. So pray for Mike and for his family. So far as I know, our church family has been spared thus far from this virus. Pray for God's continued protection on our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Matthew 27 I want to begin in verse 57, and I'm going to go down through chapter 28, verse 8. So Matthew 27, 57. The Bible says, When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciples. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, when he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, ye have, ye, ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. And the end of the Sabbath, as it, was, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the women, 
Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. Lord, bless once again as we look to this narration of the events of that first morning of the resurrection of our Savior. We thank you that that tomb is empty, is and always will be. We thank you that Jesus has defeated sin and the devil and the grave on our behalf. And now those who come to him and know him can live and live forever. Thank you, Lord, for that blessed truth that Jesus died in our place. He went to that cross to pay our sin debt. And now because of what he's done, we can have salvation. We can have a relationship with you once again. Bless this time we'll spend in your word. Speak to hearts through the preaching of your word. Give me clarity of thought and strength of voice, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Today those who call themselves Christians all over the world rejoice and celebrate, and rightfully so. For this is the day that we commemorate and remember that morning some 2,000 years ago when on the first day of the week after Jesus had been crucified and laid in the grave for three days and three nights that some women came to his tomb only to find it empty. Shortly thereafter, two of Christ's disciples, Peter and John, came, and they too found Jesus' tomb to be empty. This morning in our text, we've read about some women who were the first to visit the tomb after Christ's resurrection. These were the first to come and see for themselves that Jesus is no longer where they had placed him three days ago. An angel has been dispatched by God to bring them a glorious announcement. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Jesus is gone, and his tomb is empty. The empty tomb is vital to our Christian faith. It's the symbol and proof that Jesus is indeed the Savior of mankind, the one and only Savior of mankind. <coughs> Many impostors have come and gone but no other religion can take you to an empty tomb from which their Savior has been resurrected. Only we who are Christians can come and view that place where our Savior Jesus Christ was once buried and see his grave is empty because he's alive. This morning I want to take us uh, all on a, a journey in our mind's eye to that cemetery with these women on that first resurrection morning and allow me to share a few uh, thoughts from this account that we have before us. And as I read this account, I want you to notice, first of all, a soothing salutation in verse 5 of chapter 28. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. We see here these women in a fearful approach. These women arrive at the tomb, at the very crack of dawn, according to the scriptures. It was probably dark when they set out, and now the first rays of daylight can be seen on the horizon. 
These women come bearing spices with the intent of caring for the dead body of Jesus, whom they had placed in the tomb three days before. These women, as they arrive, are startled by what they see. They felt the earth quake, and now they see the Roman soldiers who stood guard at the tomb, uh, laying on the ground, unconscious. They also see that the stone that covered the opening to Christ's tomb has been rolled away from the entrance to the tomb. No doubt, fear grips their heart. So we see a fearful approach, and then we see a faithful provision. God, in his infinite wisdom and in his compassion, places a holy angel in their path with a, a, a message for them, a comforting greeting, so that they might not be driven away by their fears, but would have confidence to proceed in their seeking of Jesus. Listen, they came looking for, for Christ. They came looking for that body that they might uh, dress it, if you will, or, or put the spices upon it. Uh, they were seeking him, and he's nowhere to be found. So we see here, this is a fitting example. These women reveal a timeless principle. And that's this, as I thought about this, and it's a true principle, that those who seek Jesus need never fear their approach to him. God sent this angel to calm their fears, and God has given us uh, truth in his word to calm our, our, our fears. Uh, we understand there is no need to fear when we come to Christ. There's no need to fear rejection Jesus says, uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter who we are or what we are. We can come to Jesus and know him. He will not turn anyone away. He said in John 6, 37, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Jesus desires that all people everywhere would come to him to be saved. That's why he came. That's why he was crucified. That's why he was buried, and now that's why he's resurrected. He said over in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. God's will is that all men everywhere would come to Christ to be saved. The Bible says over in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I was thinking about this, and I believe some people fail to come to Christ because of their fear. Some people are fearful of rejection. Some people think they've sinned too much. Some people think that there's no way God can forgive their sin, that it's too awful, too filthy, too dirty. Listen, there's not a sin in the world that a man can commit that God can't forgive and won't forgive if we'll come to him. Jesus paid it all. Uh, when he went to Calvary's cross, he died for the sins of the world, and that's all the sins. Some people uh, fear coming to Christ because they might be rejected, but listen, he will reject no one. Some people fear coming to Christ because of the changes he might bring in their life. Uh, these are not wanting to give up their sin. These are not wanting to walk in newness of life. These ones are very comfortable in their lifestyle and, and uh, in their sinful lifestyle. And they'd rather stay there than come to Jesus. Some fear coming to Christ and don't come to Christ because they fear that they'll not be able to live the Christian life. You know, I've dealt with some people who have said that to me. They've said, well, I don't believe I can live the Christian life like Jesus would want me to. Can I tell you this by, by experience? None of us can live the Christian life apart 
from faith in Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, if you think you're not going to come to Christ because you can't live the Christian life after you come to Christ, you're putting the cart before the horse. What you need to do is get saved and trust Christ to make you able to live a Christian life like he wants you to. Uh, some fear the repercussions of trusting Christ for salvation, and so they fear coming to him that they might lose some friends if they, if they get saved. They might suffer some ridicule and mocking. And uh, let me share this with you. If you come to Christ and you know him as your Savior, you're sooner or later going to engage in or be the subject of ridicule and mocking from the unsaved. You'll experience persecution for your stand for Christ. And some people allow those things to keep them from coming to Christ. The fact is, there's nothing we need to fear when we come to Christ. He'll save all who will call upon him, and he will keep those who call upon him saved forever. I'm glad uh, the salvation that's offered in the Bible is an eternal salvation. It's not till we sin again. We can't sin away grace. Listen, grace is undeserved merit and favor. We, can't, we don't do anything to get salvation. We can't do anything to lose salvation. It's all according to the grace of Almighty God, and I thank God for that. So we see there, first of all, a soothing salutation. God sends this angel to give soothing words or comforting words to these women as they come to, to help them with their fears. Then we see this, an amazing announcement. In verse 6, it says, uh, here's what the angel said to them. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. He is not here, for he is risen. These women are surprised. They came expecting to find the cold, lifeless, and corrupting body of Jesus Christ. However, much to their astonishment, they're, told of, they're instead told of his resurrection. He's no longer in the grave. He's no longer among the dead. In one of the other gospel accounts, the angel was heard to ask these women, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He's no longer there. And I submit to you that this is a promised resurrection. Jesus had taught on several occasions that he would be put to death, he would be buried, and after three days and three nights, he would be resurrected from the dead. In John 2, verses 19 through 21, the Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in the building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. Jesus also told his disciples that he would be crucified, would rise from the grave on the third day in Matthew chapter 20. Go back there just a few pages. Matthew chapter 20. If you don't have your Bible, relax. I'll read it to you. Matthew chapter 20, beginning with verse 17. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve apostles apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him up to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. 
Jesus prophesied his resurrection. Had he failed in any of this, to be crucified, to be buried, and to be resurrected, he would have been found to be a false prophet and a phony. This is a physical resurrection. By the way, it's not just a promised resurrection. It was a physical resurrection. Jesus arose from the grave bodily. As the women uh, looked into that tomb and as Peter and John went into that tomb, they found no body there. All they found that Jesus left behind was an empty tomb and some used grave clothes. Jesus' bodily resurrection uh, was, a, was, was physical and uh, it was demonstrated to his disciples a little uh, later in that day in Luke chapter 24, verse 39. It tells us about it. It says of his disciples, Behold, or Jesus says to his disciples, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Here's a promised resurrection and a physical resurrection. Resurrection. I was taken back a little bit when I read, read that verse about where Jesus said, uh, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And I don't know exactly what kind of body Jesus had at that point. I know that we're going to get a similar body when we're resurrected at the, at the rapture of the church if we die before. Uh, but one day if we're saved, we're going to receive a glorified body. I really don't know what kind of body that's going to be. Uh, apparently, it's going to be a, a flesh or a bone body of some sort because Jesus appeared in one and, and challenged his disciples to, uh, to check it and see because flesh and bones uh, isn't of a spirit. And then it's not just a promised resurrection or a physical resurrection. I thought about this. It's an unpreventable resurrection. And here's a thought. All the forces of, of hell tried to keep Jesus in that grave. All of the Christ rejectors did everything they could to make sure Jesus didn't come out of that grave. They, they sealed the tomb, and they put a Roman uh, guard on the tomb. Over Matthew 27, uh, verses 62 through 66, we learned that there, there was a large stone put in place, and then they sealed that stone and the guard of Roman soldiers was designated to watch that tomb for three days and three nights, lest somebody come and steal the body. However, on resurrection morning, there was not enough power in the universe to prevent Jesus Christ from coming out of that grave. So we see that it's a, a powerful uh, resurrection. And then this is a proven resurrection. This isn't just rumor. This is fact. Now, because Jesus has defeated death in the grave, so shall all who put their faith and trust in him also who overcome, to overcome death in the grave. This is a proven resurrection. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Uh, go over to 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to see something there. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15. I said it was a proven resurrection. You say, how is it proven? Well, it says right here in the scripture, beginning with verse 4. <clears throat> it says, speaking of Jesus, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, that would be Peter, then of the twelve. 
So he's seen of Peter, and then he's seen of all 12 of the apostles. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen asleep. So as, as Paul writes here, he says that there were 500 people who saw Jesus after his resurrection, and many of them are still alive when Paul's writing to the Corinthians. After that, he was seen of James, that's his brother James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Listen, Jesus Christ's resurrection isn't just a rumor, but it was established uh, by all these people. And uh, think about it, 500 witnesses. If you were in the courtroom and they brought 500 witnesses to something, and one by one they witnessed the same thing and testified to the same thing, wouldn't you get the idea it must be true? Uh-huh. And yet there are so many who want to deny the resurrection of Christ. And then, uh, as I said, this is a promising resurrection. Now because Jesus has defeated death in the grave, so shall all who put their faith and trust in him overcome death and the grave. So we see a soothing salutation. We see an amazing announcement. And then the next thing is we see an interesting invitation in verse 6. Go back to your text there in Matthew 27 or 28 and verse 6. This angel said to them, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. They're invited to see the empty tomb. They're invited to see the place where they had laid his body three days ago. They could see the empty grave clothes they had wrapped his body in. And that napkin they had placed on his face folded ever so neatly in that tomb. They, they are invited to see the empty tomb. Come and see the place where he laid, the angel said. It reminds us Jesus was buried in a real tomb. His flesh and blood body had to go to the grave like all flesh and blood bodies have to go. By the way, all of our bodies will go to the grave unless we're alive at the rapture. The Bible declares that it is a point of all men wants to die. I don't mean to be a a prophet of doom, but every one of us needs to understand there's coming a day when we will meet death. The question is, what happens after death? Death and the grave had their icy grip on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was undeniably dead when they put him in that tomb. You say, how do you know? Well, just read the account of the scriptures. It verifies that Jesus was undeniably dead when put in that tomb. The Roman soldiers made sure he was dead. When they came to him to break his legs so that he would die faster, they realized he's already dead. But just to make sure, they took that spear and jammed it right into his side, right up through his heart, and, uh, and he, uh, just to make sure that he was dead. And then those who buried him uh, were certain of his death. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and the women who accompanied them when they took the body of Jesus and placed it in that tomb. Listen, you don't bury live people. If he was alive, they would have never put him in the tomb. You know, there's, there's the naysayers who say, well, he just swained on that cross. He just fainted. And when they put him in that cool tomb, then, then he came to himself and was resurrected. Why would they put someone who just fainted into a tomb in the first place? They would have naturally taken him to somewhere where he could get the right kind of care 
and uh, that kind of thing. So we see this interesting invitation. And then we need to recognize the reason that he was laid in that place. He came to die on Calvary's cross. And he came to die there not for his sins, but for our sins. He came to be the Savior and to atone for the sins of man. He came to offer himself as the one sacrifice for all of our sins. Jesus died in our place. He paid the sin debt that we owe. He went to that cross to be sin for us, even though he knew no sin. Listen, when Jesus went to that cross, he was innocent of any sin. Not only crimes, but any kind of sin. He was the, the perfect lamb of God, the innocent lamb of God. He had innocent blood that could be shed for the sins of the world. Listen, no other man had innocent blood. No other person has ever had innocent blood to be offered uh, for our sins, but Jesus did. And then we need to remember the passion that put him on that cross. No man took Jesus' life. Oftentimes people say, well, the Roman soldiers killed Christ. Uh, no, nobody killed Christ. Christ voluntarily gave up his life. He said he would lay down his life. No man would take it from him. He willingly gave his life for us. I thought about this. You know, it wasn't Pilate's authority that caused Jesus to lay in that tomb. Now, Pilate thought it was, but it was not Pilate's authority to put Jesus in that tomb. It wasn't the Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross that caused him to lay in the grave. It was God's love for all mankind that caused Jesus to go to that cross, to suffer the cross, to die for our sins. He went to that cross, as I said earlier, willingly. And then we need to remember our plight that caused Jesus to lay in that tomb. Our plight is this, we're all sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God in Romans 6.23. Our sin has separated us from God in Romans 6.23. Uh, the first part it says, for the wages of sin is death. That death there isn't talking about physical death, it's talking about spiritual death, spiritual separation from God forever. And the wages, what we deserve because of our sin is that we be separated from God forever. Listen, friend, if you've never come to Christ and accepted him as your Savior, uh, you are an enmity with God. You are in a war with God. You are not in a relationship with God, but you can be if you'll come to Christ. God assigned a penalty for our sins. The Bible says over in 623a, that the wages of sin is death, but God also made a way for us to, to have our penalty removed. That verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, God offers salvation as a gift. It's a shame there are so many people who want to try to earn salvation. There are so many people who want to be religious or do good things or take sacraments or whatever it might be. Listen, there is absolutely nothing we can do to save ourselves. Our salvation has to be and can only be through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and our accepting what he's done for us uh, on the cross of Calvary. Jesus came to make a way for us to be reconciled to God. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Notice it says, whosoever shall believe in him shall have eternal life. And in John 14, 6, Jesus said it so clearly. He said, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And of course, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, tell us about the futility of trying to work our way to heaven. It says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, there's not enough good works in the world to save one person from hell. The only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary's cross. <clears throat> Go over to 1 Peter 2.24. Peter writes something there that we need to understand. It says there in verse 24 of 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2.24, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye are all sheep going astray, but now are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Listen, when Jesus went to that cross, he went there to pay for our sins, to pay the debt we owed. I said, I believe last week, I mentioned that when Christ was on the cross, there came a place when he, when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We believe that at that particular instant, God had taken the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future, and put them on Jesus Christ, and he atoned for the sins of all mankind. First John tells us that Jesus died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the world. And so Jesus paid the price for the sins of every man, woman, and child. But we must accept that payment. We must accept him as our Savior and accept what he did for us rather than try to do it for ourselves. And then finally, one last thing I want you to notice. Oh, I didn't get it. A standing command. A standing command. And that's found in verse 7. Now the angel says to these women, And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. Look at that first part of that verse. And go quickly and tell his disciples. You know, there's a command there. The women were to go and share this wonderful news. Wouldn't it have been a shame if these women would have had this wonderful news and went back and told nobody? kept it to themselves. Now think about it. They would have known that Jesus is alive. He's been resurrected. Listen, I can't imagine that they could possibly go back and not tell somebody. Number one, they're women. They love to tell things. Number two, they have something fabulous to share that they wouldn't be able to contain. But this angel tells them, go and tell the others. Can I... Can I just mention to you that we have a wonderful, the wonderful privilege of preaching a message and taking a, a message to the lost, and we're to go and share with others what Jesus Christ has done. Over in Romans chapter 10, we're told that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then it says, but how shall they hear without a preacher? In other words, somebody has to tell other people that 
Jesus has died for them and will save them or they'll not know. And that's our responsibility. We're like those women at that tomb. We've been given precious and blessed and blessed and precious wonderful truth that we're to take and to share with other people. I want to ask you, how are you doing with that? How many people have you shared the good news of the gospel with? How about this week? How about this month? How about this year? Have you given a word of witness to a lost person about how they can be saved? Have you handed a gospel tract to someone about how they might be saved? Have you, have you shared with those around you uh, that, that aren't saved how they might be saved? Listen, we've been commissioned. We've been given the assignment of taking that good news that we know and sharing it with other people. And we must be obedient. We have a wonderful message. We have a message that says Jesus loves us. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And uh, we have a wonderful message to share with people that if nobody else in this world ever loves them, Jesus loves them. And uh, not only that, that Jesus died for them according to the scriptures. And we have a wonderful message that Jesus will save them if they'll simply come to him. As I said earlier in this message, Jesus won't reject anyone. It doesn't matter how bad your sin is. It doesn't matter how old you are or young you are. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter anything about you. Jesus will save you if you'll come to him and put your faith and trust in him. That's a wonderful message. We have a wonderful message to share. Why do we keep it secret? Why do we keep it within ourselves and not share it with other people? We must be diligent. We must be faithful. It would be a shame for these women to have that wonderful truth and go back and tell no one, just like it's a shame for us to have a wonderful truth and tell no one. So I submit to you this morning, the resurrection of Christ is the capstone of his work in saving us from the penalty of our sin. He died on that cross of Calvary. He was buried, and he rose again to make a way for us to to be saved. The question uh, that we need to ask this morning is this, have you received Christ as your personal Savior? That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about, knowing him, receiving him. He proved himself to be the one and only Savior by his resurrection from the dead. But have you received him and put your faith in him? Are you trying through your religion or trying through your good works and uh, what you can do trying to save yourself, friend? You can't do it. It's an impossibility. The only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. I remind you once again what he said, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can be saved today. Here's all, all that's necessary to be saved is to Turn to Jesus Christ and call upon him to save you. If you're not saved, just bow your head right there where you are and offer up a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell. I know I've sinned against God. But I've heard the preaching, heard the fact that you died for me and that you'll save me if I come to you. So as best I know how, I call upon you. I ask you to come into my heart Forgive me of my sin and save me. And I pray it and ask it by faith in Jesus' name, amen. And friend, if you prayed that prayer just now, we'd love to hear from you.
drop us a little note at our church, uh, 177 North Greenwood Avenue, Easton, and uh, 18045. We'd love to hear from you. If, if for, for the first time in your life, you realize you're a sinner and you've come to Christ today to be born again, we want to rejoice with you. God bless you. Enjoy this wonderful Resurrection Sunday. Father, thank you once again for this blessed book, for how you've preserved the accounts of that, that wonderful Resurrection Sunday. And I pray that you would use the message that we've brought this morning to be a help and a blessing to those who heard. And Lord, if there's one who's never received Christ, might they receive him today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.